Welcome back to The Q Files. Your hosts, Shane and Lori, are curious explorers of the weird and strange. And this week, we'll be taking you on a phantasmic adventure in the secluded Appalachian Hills of West Virginia. On a cool, quiet night, six boys, aged 10 to 17, a dog and a mom, would witness an event that would not only change their lives and perception of reality, but would grab the attention of police, the government, Project Blue Book, and, well, the world. The sleepy town of Flatwoods, West Virginia, would never be the same after that day. Folks claim it's just a local legend, or a bit of folklore used to build a tourist trap. But at the time, it was a terrifying event for plenty of locals. It's a little after 7 p.m. on September 12, 1952. Folks are enjoying the last of the evening light. The sounds of neighbors chatting, small town life quieting down, and kids playing echoes through the air. Three of those kids are Edward May, his brother Freddie, and their friend Tommy Heyer. All similar in age, 10 to 13. They're goofing around in the grass in front of their nearby school. Sunset was at 7.46 p.m. that day, and the light was fading as the sun made its way down. It was at 7.15 when the boys saw the sky explode with a bright light, a fireball shooting across the sky above them with pulsing red light. They watched, astonished, as it appeared to crash land on the property of a local farmer, G. Bailey Fisher. One of the boys shouts, what on earth is that? Shocked and amazed, the gang of three immediately rushed to Ed and Fred's house to tell their mother, Kathleen, what they had seen. She reluctantly agrees to the boys' request to form a search party to hopefully recover the suspected alien craft. Kathleen asked their neighbor to join them, 17-year-old Eugene, known as Gene, Lemon, a National Guardsman. Gene also brings his dog. The boys grab a couple more of their friends, Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver. The ragtag gang of eight head out in search of adventure and hoping to discover something truly out of this world. Marching up the hill on the Fisher farm, Gene leads the crew. Pushing through the brush and trees, they reach their destination. A few moments pass before they see it, all quickly crying out and running away, the air filled with their cries of sheer terror. What happened on that hill and in those trees has been debated for nearly 70 years. By the time the crew had started their adventure, the sun had set. Gene was following the direction of the boys, guiding the group to where it was suspected that the mysterious saucer had crashed. As it was reported at the time and in later interviews, when they reached the logical crash site, there was nothing there. No smoke, no crater, no UFO, no alien. Undeterred, the party crept on, inching deeper and deeper into the woods. Senses heightened. Flashlights flickered. Kathleen wants to leave, but Jean urges for staying just a few more minutes. Deeper in now, the ground begins to gloss with mist. It builds and carries towards them, heavy with a diabolical sulfuric stench. The growing haze causes the group to feel ill. But just then, Jean's dog takes off, barking viciously, dashing into the darkness. Against their will, they run in pursuit of the dog. The barking grows faint and abruptly stops. Bewildered, they eventually stumbled upon the dog, frozen and trembling in fear, refusing to go further. Accounts vary, but it was at that point that Kathleen was adamant that the group had back. 
Gene and the boys, still determined, carried on. Hey, the adventure was just beginning, and it, it was getting good. They go forward. Smell is horrible. It's, it's heavy and burns as they breathe it. It's toxic. It was then that Gene signals for the group to stop. Ahead in the darkness, the mist is illuminated by a flickering red light. The boys had been right. Something had crashed into the woods. The gang is looking around, intrigued. What are they going to find? And then they hear something. A noise, seemingly all around them, fluttering or shuffling in the forest with no discernible direction. In true Scooby gang horror flick fashion, Gene slowly, dramatically, raises his flashlight to the distance in front of them. No one was prepared for what happened next. As the light creeps up, a figure looms in the mist before lunging towards them without a sound. There, in front of them, in the pungent sulfuric smoke, was now an illuminated 10-foot-tall creature with a draping green body, glowing eyes, and a blood-red face. The full-blown, Christmas-tree-themed, ace-of-spades, no queen-of-hearts-looking, alien cryptid dashes at them, hovering off the ground, hissing, with claw-like hands outstretched. In a moment of what can only be described as unimaginable terror, Gene, white girl horror movie screaming, falls backwards, dropping his flashlight. The group is immediately shocked to their senses and sprints out of the woods evading capture and birthing a southern spook story legend. The astonishing event was the talk of the small town. It made local news, national news, even world news, and later even ending up in video games like Zelda and Fallout. It was rated as the number 11 story of 1952. But what happened that night? What did they really experience? After arriving back home, the crew presumably breathlessly telling anyone who would listen that aliens had crash-landed and attacked them. The local sheriff and a deputy reported that they were preparing to investigate several reports of a downed aircraft. The sheriff would later say that after investigating, nothing was found. They saw nothing, heard nothing, smelled nothing. A government cover-up if I've ever heard one. The next day, according to taped interviews for Fate magazine from Gray Barker, a local journalist for the Braxton Democrat, A. Lee Stewart Jr., marched up the hill, shotgun in hand, and claimed to have discovered what he described as skid marks in the field and an odd gummy deposit on the ground. These were later asserted as evidence of a saucer landing by UFO enthusiasts. In Stewart's reporting, he would say, those people were the most scared people I've ever seen. People don't make up that kind of story that quickly. Well, the state investigators began calling it hysteria, saying, that so-called monster had grown from 7 to 17 feet in 24 hours. But the legend endures. Later in the year 2000, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry would launch an investigation led by Joe Nickel and reach astonishingly boring conclusions. In their efforts to explain away every detail, their determinations would say that the fireball was a meteor, as one had been observed over nearby areas on September 12th. The pulsing light in the haze? An aircraft beacon. There were three in the area. In the creature, just a startled barn owl. 
these conclusions and others like them have been accepted as the official story, even getting a nod of agreement from the Air Force. Mysterious spooky legends are best born in times of widespread anxiety. In 1952, America was in the middle of the Cold War and in the midst of a flying saucer UFO conspiracy theory explosion. Folks were primed and ready to believe these stories and it helped them spread and endure. Even if the Phantom of Flatwoods, the Braxton County Monster, the Green Monster, or the Flatwoods Monster, whatever you want to call it is unproven folklore, the folks investigating that night saw and experienced something very profound. The Air Force and others did investigate and take it seriously, even sending in the men in black posing as magazine writers to investigate undercover. The brothers Ed and Fred are still alive, near 80 now, still holding firm to their story. But they gave up giving interviews and fighting for others to believe them. Their last recorded public statement came in 2017 for a documentary on the event. In the trailer, Freddie looks at the camera and casually says, it's not so much whether they believe it or don't believe about it. It's part of our folklore in Flatwoods. And that's probably the best way to handle truly fascinating stories. You can have your own Phantom of Flatwoods adventure too. Tourist season for the town is typically spring through fall. There is themed food, shops, a museum, and even a festival, the Flatwoods Monster Fest, which conveniently falls on September 12th this year. And in our current unprecedented times, full of anxiety, fear, confusion, and isolation, one might suspect we ourselves are presently becoming primed for such similar miraculous sightings and otherworldly encounters, just like in 1952. So, keep your eyes open and do keep that flashlight handy. And hey folks, thanks for spending some time with us. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends and leave a review. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends, be weird, stay curious. These are the Q Files. <laughs>